Hey, this is Brian Golden, lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast. I also really want to thank you for taking the time to listen. And I want to let you know that now you can watch these messages as well, anytime and anywhere. And the easiest way to do that is on the Centerpoint Church app. In addition to that, the Centerpoint app is also the easiest way to stay connected with what's happening at Centerpoint. So go to your favorite app store, search Centerpoint Church Florida, and you'll find it right there. Most importantly, I really want to say if you're a longtime follower of Jesus, or maybe you're just investigating who Jesus is, I really hope this message encourages you to take your next step in your journey of faith or in your journey of investigating faith. Thanks again for listening. So we're in part three of this series, uh, more than a hashtag, really talking about how we are adding action to our faith, that we don't want to just be a a gathering, a movement in our city that that comes together on a Sunday morning and talks about stuff, or comes together on a Wednesday night with our student movement and talks about stuff. Like We want to be active. We want to be doing things. We want to be making a difference in our community. And that's why we're doing really practical things. Uh, Like we had our Jiffy Cornbread mix that we brought in. We have hundreds of boxes of Jiffy Cornbread mix, which each one of those is going to go to a family in need in our area. Uh, We're going to give them all a gift of hope, and they're going to go and have hundreds and hundreds of families, thousands and thousands of people come in and get a free meal that they uh, could not, uh, honestly, they they don't really deserve it. They couldn't do anything to earn it because it's a free gift, and we want to give it to them because we've been given so much. We want to be able to give to other people, so thank you for that. Now what we're doing, a really simple, practical way to add an action to your faith, and every single one of us can do this, is go out and buy a gift for a child newborn to three years old. Newborn to three years old, even if you're like, I don't think I believe what you believe, I'm not sure. Even if this is like your first time in church, that's totally okay. You will have so much fun buying gifts for someone else's kids, because you got to put the other person's kids to bed, Right? I heard this thing a while ago, and some of you, this is a free parenting thing, is just wrap up some empty boxes and put them under the tree, and when your kids act up, just destroy empty box and throw it in the trash. And tell them, I'm going to do that again. You keep acting like that. But for real, you're going to have a good time going out into stores, and some of you students, think about this. Add this to your Christmas list. Go out and buy some gifts. Newborn to three years old, you'll see the number is right on the box or whatever you're buying. It's really simple. Bring it in. If you go over by our cafe, you already see people are already starting to gather them in and be a part of our gathering, adding action to our faith, not just talking about stuff, but actually doing stuff. This gives you a really practical point, even if you are a parent like me and you're trying to figure out, like, how can I talk to my kids about some of this stuff? Because it's hard, and like, I wish there was a simple way to talk to them about stuff, like faith and generosity. Like, take your kid shopping and let them pick out a gift for another kid. It gives you a super easy opportunity to talk to them about that. And you talk about how we, we've been given so much, and we want to give away because we've been given so much. We want to provide for other people. So join with us and do that. Also, in a couple of weeks, we're going to do a, a big give Sunday, and we're going to kind of come together and raise this goal of $20,000, which honestly, I think we're going to crush. I think we're going to have so much money coming. We've already had thousands of dollars come in. So even now, beginning uh, today, like plan, pray, get things in order, get ready, because we're going to go on that day. We're going to celebrate. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great, because we're going to take all that money, and we're going to give it all away. And we've said this before. If we raise more, if we raise $50,000, we'll give the rest of that away, too. We're not keeping any of this money in-house because it's not for us, it's for them. And we want to give it to anyone who needs it. And we go through our partner organizations who are already killing it, already doing a good job. We want to stand with them and give them some money. So y'all ready for that in a couple weeks? 
Let's go. Let's raise some money. Let's give. Give it all away. You'll have so much fun with your money when you're able to give it away. So, so this, this series uh, is right before our Christmas series. We're starting up, and some of us were planning for Christmas. We're getting things ready, and, and we have memories of getting gifts for Christmas. Some of you, it was like a really good thing you really wanted. I remember there's this gift I got one time. Uh, I'll just tell you, this is like a group counseling session. Uh, my parents got me a guitar, okay? And with the guitar, my parents, one thing we do like a tradition is we hide the gifts, uh, just a few, and it's like a scavenger hunt to go find the gift, so I had to go all over the house, and I found the gift. It was behind the freezer downstairs in the basement. Uh, kind of a scary place to hide a gift for a kid, but, you know, if you really want it. And I got it, and I opened it up, and I just opened it up and started playing with it right there. Because, like, I was so excited about it. And wouldn't you know, I got grounded from that guitar the rest of Christmas because I didn't bring it back up to my family so they could all see me play with it. That's messed up, right? Y'all say, that's messed up. But so many of us, like, that's messed up, right? Like, and this is the deal. Like, so many of us, we get gifts, and, and some of us, like, we get board games. Anyone here get a board game that's fun for, like, 10 minutes after Christmas? And then it's the, the source of frustration and anger, like Monopoly. Right? Y'all know what I'm talking about with Monopoly. You play that game for five minutes, it's fun. And then uh, after that, uh, someone flipped the board, someone punched somebody, they're running away, mom's angry, pulling hair, like, it's a mess of a game. Or, or like, Uno, you're playing card games, you're doing stuff, and... and Here's the deal. All of us, we have like our house rules for games, don't we? Like take Monopoly, for example. Uh, some of you, uh, like you're like me, and we're the right people in this. Like you put $500 in the center of the board at the very beginning of the game. And if you land on free parking, you get that $500. All fees and associated things with that go to the middle of the pot. Some of you play the game wrong and you don't do that and you should. Uh, some of us, we do like if you land in jail, you can pay $50 and you get right out of jail or you roll a thing or my family, what we would do is uh, if someone landed on a property and they didn't want it, it was a, like an instant like auction. And if we all do the auction, make some noise if you do the auction, right? Like as soon as like you don't want boardwalk and, and I'm going to bid and we're all bidding against it, but I know like my sister really wants it and I don't really care about it, but I just don't want her to have it because it's family. So like I'm just going to drive up the price so she's broke. But, but here's the deal. Like for all of us, like our, our house rules are just that. They're house rules, Right? And if I go, go over to your house and we're going to play Monopoly or Uno or poker or whatever we're playing, like, we play by your rules, don't we? That's how it should be. That's how God wrote it actually in the Bible. That's what he says. Uh, I'm just kidding. It's not in there. Don't look for it. But also, like, if you come over to my house, it's my rules because I'm the authority in my house sometimes, I guess. Like, like Rachel and I, we're the authority in our house, Right? Like, so if you come over, and you're going to play by my rules. But what happens for so many of us is, like, we like to recreate rules to advantage ourselves, right? Like, we want to recreate things so that way, like, I can make it easier for me to win and harder for you to win. Or, or, and we don't just do this with board games, right? We do this with all sorts of things. Like, we redefine even, like, bigger things of, like, like uh, justice or what we're supposed to do or right and wrong. Like, we redefine it because I want to give myself an advantage, but the reality, though, is, and you, you find this out in life, is, like, even increasingly as you get a little older, like, you're less and less the authority that you thought you were, aren't you? Like, you think even, like, I'm the authority in my own body. You get to a certain point, you're not so much anymore, right? Like, and here's the deal, like, like, even, like, gravity, like, I believe we have a scientific and moral laws that are true and absolute, and they are there, and, like, you can't just redefine those because you're not the authority, like, let's go up on the roof. Let's try jumping off the roof of the church. And you can say, well, I redefine gravity in my mind. And you're still going to hit the ground, right? Or you take heat. 
You take heat and like, like you light a fire and you can say, well, I'm going to redefine what heat is in my mind so heat doesn't really apply to me. And you put your hand on that fire, what's going to happen? You're going to get burned. Or if you're driving on the road here and you go past Valrico Elementary and the light's flashing so it's a 20 mile an hour zone, you're going 45 and the police officer pulls you over, you probably can't just tell them, you know, I just redefine, like 20 for me, like I see 20, I think of Two times the number plus five, and that works for me. Like, I redefined it. Like, the officer is going to not let that fly, are they? And for so many of us, like, like we need to find comfort in the belief. Like, I hold the belief that, that we have a divine authority over all of us, and we should find comfort in that. And the, the reason that I believe that is, and this might sound bad at first, but you'll understand, like, not so much for me that I need that, and I'm weak, so I need a divine authority, but honestly, it's because you guys are all weak, and you need a divine authority. Like, I'm convinced I'm not going to go crazy, but I'm not sure about you guys. And you should believe the exact same thing about me, shouldn't you? Like, you should think, like, like okay, like, I know I'm not going to go and murder somebody. I'm not going to go out and kill somebody. I'm not going to go attack somebody, but I'm not so sure about Justin. Send your kids out on Wednesday night. We're going to have some fun. <laughs> but this is reality for all of us, even if we think, and in, in some, some of us, like, we believe, well, people are getting better, and we don't really need to have, like, concrete rules. Uh, just let this sink in. You are at a church service right now. You parked your car in a church parking lot, and how many of you locked the doors as you left your car? How many of you are lying right now? You just don't raise your hand for anything, right? All of us, like, we all lock our doors at night. We lock our cars all the time because even if we want to believe, like, people are good, we still aren't so sure about people being good. And we've seen this true around us. We've seen this true in our culture, even looking at countries where countries or dictators make themselves the authority and remove a divine authority over them. What happens? Genocide. Concentration camps, mass murder. Like, this is what happens when we remove the authority, the divine authority over us. And I would love for all of us just to be able to play and get along, but the reality is, I can be crazy sometimes. And I need something to look to to show me, like, how should I live? And even with this idea of uh, justice, like, show me what justice is. Because I will redefine justice to be a benefit to myself, and you probably would do the same thing for you. But I believe also, even having that divine authority, I believe that the scriptures would teach that Jesus was actually incarnated. I mean, he came to earth as that authority to point us all to a God who loves us and cares for us and wants us and is all about us. And because he loves us and cares for us and wants us, he has the authority to tell us what to do and how to act. Not ever in a way of dominating and just pushing us down like a, a mean father figure, but it's a loving father figure. We're actually going to look, because we got the law kind of back, backwards and upside down. We're going to look at that in just a minute. But, but God is all about justice. And he doesn't define justice simply in a way that benefits him because he's not going to benefit from justice. That's how we can trust him. He is kind of, he is justice. He's beside it. So he doesn't have to live according to justice because he is justice. So we can trust him in looking to him for justice. And what happens, you look through scriptures, God sent these people called prophets to earth, to his people. And generally it was just like some regular dudes doing whatever, working with their sheep, working out here, doing this thing, doing that thing. And, and God calls them and says, I want you to have a special message to go tell my people. And God gives them the power to bring the message to the people. And oftentimes these messages were kind of a cocktail of like judgment and hope. 
It was judgment about what they're currently doing, but hope that if you listen to heed the judgment, the hope is something greater in the end. And in the prophets, almost every single one of them always points to Jesus as the ultimate hope. And they point from where they're at to a future promised one, which is Jesus. And then when Jesus came and lived his life and rose again from the dead, which if you are unsure if you believe that, that's totally fine. You're welcome here, but you should totally check it out again. Because it takes almost, I think, from from evidence that I've looked at, it takes almost more faith to believe that he didn't rise from the dead than faith to say that he did rise from the dead. Now, don't take my word for it, though. You check it out. You Google search it. And because if Jesus did that, then anyone who hundreds of years before pointed to Jesus, he did that. It validated his claims, but also validated their claims, too. And this is where this guy Isaiah comes on the scene and God uses him in a great way. He has an incredible message. And Isaiah lived between 800 and 700 BC. So hundreds and hundreds and almost 3,000 years ago for us. And the reason this is important is as you look at Isaiah's message, the hope and the judgment that he talks about, uh, the judgment side talks about two attacks on Israel. Now we're gonna go through a little bit, a quick uh, synopsis or, or history lesson for you. So don't get, you know, don't get bored, don't nod off, okay? This will be matter, you know, it'll be good for you too, okay? So seven to 800 BC, now here's the deal. He pointed to two attacks on people. And this is the reason that it is important because there was an Assyrian attack and a Babylonian attack. And both of those things actually happened. In 720 BC, uh, right around there, the Assyrian army came in to attack Israel and Jerusalem to take away a whole bunch of people as slaves. And then over 100 years later, in 597 BC, the Babylonian army, led under King Nebuchadnezzar, came in and attacked and captured Israel and Jerusalem and all the people. Now, the reason that that is important is because Nebuchadnezzar wrote about it in his chronicles. And Nebuchadnezzar is not in Scripture. Like, his chronicles aren't in there. He's referenced in Scripture, but he wrote about it outside of Scripture. So even if you're kind of figuring, trying to figure out, is the Scriptures, like, are they valid? Are they reliable? Like, those are great questions, right? Because the reality is, saying just because the Bible says so, to be honest, is not a good enough answer. And here, here's the deal. Just because the Bible says so, like, what if the Bible is not reliable? Does it really matter what an unreliable book says? What if the like, scriptures, what if they're not valid? Like, does it, should I listen to it anyways? This is where we got to go and remember, like, like, we're to love God with our minds and look and research and understand things where you can look and say, okay, Isaiah's talking about these attacks. I can go outside of scripture, outside of the source and find evidence supporting what the source is saying that confirms what he said and it adds strength to your faith. Now for some of you, you're thinking like, whoa, whoa, that's like pastor level stuff. That's like intellectual stuff. I'm not an intellectual. I would disagree with you respectfully. Because a lot of you, are planning out your biggest holiday of the year, Black Friday, (laughs) right? And you've been doing research and you know all the deals, you know all the places to go, you know the TV you're getting and why that TV is better than the other TV and you with military-like precision are putting out a path to get from this store to that store to that store to get all the stuff you want and you researched it. Or for some of you, if you're like me, like you love yourself some fantasy football, 
And you could tell people like the top 10 players from every position for this year, you could go back a couple of years and be like, yo, that dude and that dude, remember him, remember their season, you know, like, should you start the Dak Prescott over Kirk Cousins? If you think so, let me know. Cause I need to help with that. Figure it out before one o'clock here. Like, like we know information and you weren't born with that. You learned it somewhere. So you might say, like, I'm not an intellectual. That's where I'd respectfully say, I, I disagree. You, you just got to take a step to learn. And I'm not saying this to shame you, but to tell you, like, you have the ability. Like, you can learn stuff. You learn stuff all the time. And you can learn about this type of stuff. You can go out to the cafe and get one of our more than a hashtag journals for $5. All the proceeds go to our generosity campaign. You can take one of those journals and you can look through and see how you can begin to understand and read scripture for yourself. So you're not just trusting what someone on a stage says because I can get it wrong. But you can look at scripture yourself and begin to strengthen the intellectual muscles of reading and comprehending. That's all it is. If you can understand the story of the tortoise and the hare, which all of us got that one probably, you can read scripture and comprehend and understand the same things. Now, the message is different, but the interpretation, the, the understanding, the comprehension techniques you'd use are very similar. So, like, begin looking that up because you will see how scripture can have so much power and your faith will have so much more strength when you are looking at it for yourself. So, Isaiah is here and he's talking to God's people. And he brings this message, again, this message of hope and judgment. And first he brings in the judgment. And the thing that God is talking about with the people of Isaiah, uh, with Isaiah through, uh, with the people through Isaiah, there we go, is the idea that they were coming and they were worshiping God big time in the temple. And they had all the sacrifices right. And the, the temple worship, it was great. They're raising their hands. and It was awesome and great. But they cared nothing for the people outside the temple. They cared nothing for the people who were oppressed. And God comes with this message that he sends through Isaiah to call out the people for their fake and false worship. And this is the reality for all of us. And if you're a Jesus follower in here, I think God has something for you that you're going to learn, that he's going to speak to you this morning. If you're not a Jesus follower, you're trying to figure things out, I think you still could learn something through this. I hope you enjoy this and you can uh, take something away from this. And honestly, this might even be a little bit different type of message than what we've done before with some things because it's kind of a call to judgment, which can be kind of hard. But I really feel like this is what God has for us today. And this is what Isaiah said to the people of Israel, starting in the very first chapter of the book. It says, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Now, some of you are like, I thought he was talking to Jerusalem. Like, who are these people? Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, if you look back in scripture, back to like Genesis, there's actually a story about God judging these cities of Sodom and Gomorrah because they were exceedingly wicked. So anytime that you see this come up later in scripture, it's more of a symbol of this is how bad you're really acting. He says, the multitude, multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams, and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. Now he's referencing sacrifices. He's referencing their temple worship. And what we got to understand is this is actually uh, the worship that God gave them uh, from the time he pulled them out of Egypt. And what he did, and real quick, is what he did was he talked with them and, and showed them when they came out of the bondage of the land of Egypt, like they didn't know anything. They were a baby nation. And if you have a baby or you know babies, like babies know nothing, right? 
right? Like my four-month-old, like she just found her feet. Like she's had them for 13 months, but she just found them. Right? And like, like babies, they don't know anything. And the same thing is true, like of a baby nation, like they come out, like they were slaves. They had no idea how to operate and God gave them something to help them operate. But the thing we got to understand about the law, and this is where we got to remember this and always keep reminding ourselves, is if you look back at the very beginning, God talked to a man named Abram and promised him that I will bless you, I will love you, and it's not based on anything that you do. It's totally my covenant, my choice, my commitment to you is based on how good I am. So he chose Abraham and chose all of his descendants. Then his descendants grew and grew and grew and ended up in Egypt and ended up as slaves in Egypt. And then God pulled them out of the bondage of slavery and then he gave them the law not to see if he should choose them or not. He gave them a law because they were chosen. This is reality for some of you. Like This is why you came to church today is you're trying to walk out of bondage and it's difficult for you and it's painful and it's hard and then you get to church and you feel like there's this law that you have to follow and it's just another set of bondage with a different pair of chains for you and that's not what it is. This is where we as a church, like, are there things that God wants me to do? Absolutely. Are there things that, that God gives me that he says, stay away from this and run to that? Absolutely. But it's a place of he has chosen me and he will give me the power to live the life he's called me to. God's not trying to figure out if he loves you or not. He's already shown that he loves you. So we just got to remember that and remind ourselves when God is leading me to do something, even if I don't want to do it, it's from a place of he has chosen me and he wants me to walk in this way for a good thing, even if it doesn't feel like it. So don't go back to bondage. But so God gave them this law as a way to show them, like, I love you and you need to operate. And there were some civil things with it. There were some moral things with it. There was all sorts of laws and regulations. And a lot of us, like, we know, like, the big Ten Commandments, like, don't kill anybody. Don't steal anything. Don't open your eyes during prayer. If you're raised in a church, like, that was in there? I didn't see that one. But this is the reality. What he's calling them out for is their, their fake worship because they're doing all these things. All these things, even this is the thing you got to remember too, is these are things that God told them to do. He told them to bring sacrifices to him, but they got the sacrifice twisted and they began to operate in a system that was more about the person bringing the sacrifice than to the person they were bringing the sacrifice to. And they're producing this show of religion. Check out what God says about this show that he sees in verse 12. He says, when you come and appear before me, who's asked for this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense are detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Now, these are assemblies that God told them in the law. You need to celebrate me in this way. You need to remember me in this way. All of the festivals, all the feasts, all the things that God told them to do, they were all for remembrance. So you remember how good I am. You remember how you were in bondage and how you're brought out. Like, remember how good I am. That's where, even as we look to the law, as we look to things that God is going to lead us in, we got to look and remember, it is to help me remember how good God is. When I go and I give finances to God's mission, the church, reaching people, I'm giving that to help me remember how good God is to me. Not trying to hope that God feels better about me. So this is all about remember this, remembrance. And then in verse 14, he says, your new moon feast and your point of festivals, I, I hate with all my being. And this is God talking. 
I hate them. They've become a burden to me. I am very weary of bearing them. Now, this is where it gets personal. You spread out your hands in prayer. What does God do? He hides his eyes from them. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Now, this is some strong talk, and this is reality. If this was just me getting up here and sharing this, if this was just Isaiah getting up here and sharing this, like it doesn't have as much strength because we are mere humans. We are equals with you. When God, the authority, is coming and saying that to somebody, like we better watch up and pay attention. And this last statement here that your hands are full of blood, like that is the reason that God is so like disgusted with what they're doing. Because as they're coming in to the temple, as they're coming in to bring their sacrifices to God, to remember how good God is, they're walking by people who are oppressed, people who are in need of help, and they're walking to God instead of helping people. And they got focused on themselves. They got focused on, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go in the temple, and people are going to see, like, how righteous I am. They're going to see, like, think about how broken and twisted this is. I'm going to take my sacrifice that shows my brokenness and need for God, and I'm going to use that and manipulate that and use it as a way to help people see how great I am. Like, like your sacrifices are pointless if it's pointing back to you. And this is really like what God is saying, in a sense, through Isaiah, and also he, he reiterates this time and time again, is if you don't love people, it doesn't really matter how much you love God. And if you go out and you're, you're trying to love God more and trying to love God more, like instead of first you got to focus on God's incredible love for you, and then you can go love people. And even as we look at this passage, you can see even how, like, what they're doing is they're beginning to have a religious establishment, a religious system that's more focused on the religious establishment than the ones that the establishment was supposed to care and love for. Like, they're all about the temple, but they're not about the homeless people on the way to the temple. Like, they're all about bringing sacrifices and giving animals to God, but they're not worried about giving an animal to their friend who doesn't have any food. Like I got caught in this, this me and God. It's just me and God, and we're going to get things great with me and God, but I'm going to forget about everybody else. They can go to hell. I don't worry about them. And God is saying, like, you need to stop for a second because you're bringing in worship, and it's empty, and it's hollow, and I don't want it. This is where if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, like, this should give us some weight. Like, you should, you should feel this a little bit and even give us a chance to, to look at ourselves and think, like, are my hands full of blood? Like, am I not caring for people? Because this is reality, too. It's not just that you're doing wrong things. It's that you're not doing the good things you should do. If you're not a Jesus follower, you're like, I'm trying to figure things out, and this sounds really bad. I don't know if I want to sign up for this. Here's the deal you're going to see. It's the goodness of God that's going to lead us to love people well. God's not trying to anger and manipulate us into obedience. He wants to love us unconditionally. So what does God say? What is his call for the people of Israel? This is what he says. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight and stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless and plead the case of the widow. Again, this is where we see with their religious system, they became more focused on the religious establishment than the ones that the establishment was supposed to care and love for. This is for us. 
Like, I think that same can be true of us. Now, here's the deal, full disclosure, like, we want to build a bigger building. We're in talk to figure out how we can get a bigger building. We're going to do stuff to reach more people, but it's not about the building. It's not about me. It's not about Brian. It's not about any individual person. It's not about, like, our bridge builders are awesome, and we love them, and they are killing it, but it's not about them. It's all about Jesus. And when I understand that it is all about Jesus, when I put Jesus in his rightful place, that he is supreme, he is the authority, then I see I am chosen, I am loved, I am accepted, and because I am chosen, loved, and accepted, I can go out and choose to love and accept other people. And that's what we got to be all about. And that's when we would truly be a movement. Like as long as we gather in circles, in rows, on Sundays, on Tuesdays, on Thursdays, and it's all about the people in the room and not about the people outside of the room, I think God to a degree is going, like you're doing all the right stuff, but you're missing the point. Because again, like God is not correcting them for bringing lame sacrifices, for bringing skinny animals, for cheating out the sacrifices. It was you're bringing the good stuff. You're bringing the stuff I told you to bring, but you're not loving the people I told you to love. So even as you come to this place on our campus and you want to give, like, I hope you want to give. I hope that God is working in you. But remember, it's not just about giving a gift to God. You also got to give a gift to someone else. Someone not inside the room. Loving on someone, loving your neighbor, reaching out to your neighbor. Like your literal neighbor. Like the person across the street, the person next door to you. Because again, if I define justice, if I define love, I'm going to define it in a way that benefits me. This is why we allow God to define those things for us. This is the definition of the word justice that's used here in this passage. It's the quality of being free from favoritism, self-interest, bias, or deception. The reality is for a lot of us, and you've seen this to be true, when we talk about justice, when we talk about social justice, like this isn't always what we're talking about, is it? Almost everyone, and this isn't like one group or the other. Honestly, I think it's all of us because we're all broken humanity. When I begin in a good place to live for justice, I quickly can become all about myself. And what once was justice or equality or we want a voice can easily turn into, I want everyone to hear my voice. I want my version of justice. I don't want equality. I want superiority. Like everyone and anyone does this. This could be groups of people. This could be people and individual people in a relationship, whatever it is. But we got to stop defining justice by what we think and define it by what God thinks. Where I'm not going to benefit if you act in a just way. It doesn't only benefit me. This is where for us, like, we got to look to people who can never pay us back. And we need to love them. Even here, he tells them, like, offend or defend the oppressed. Like, who's oppressed in our community? Like, not some hypothetical oppression, like, legitimate, real, these are people being oppressed. This is an individual or people that are being held down by another. Like, who is it? I think for us, a lot of times, it's easy to point to, like, homeless people, poor people, people who don't have. But also, even in our context, like, isn't it so easy to ignore them? Like, if we're really honest, like, we, we ignore people who are oppressed. Because they, they, like, they don't benefit me. If I give them something, they can't repay me. And this is where God, you see, is all through Scripture, and Jesus teaches so much about this, the idea of pain someone, giving someone something that can never pay you back. 
Like that is where justice and love shows up, not simply in paying back or giving to people who can pay me back or loving people who already love me. No, you want to show love, you go love your enemy, not your homie. Yo, that rhymes. That should be on a t-shirt somewhere. This is, this is, this guy said this back in 1962, which I think it's so true today, but even worse for us. He says, the poor are invisible, or that the poor are invisible is one of the most important things about them. They are not simply neglected or forgotten. What is much worse, they're not seen. Now, the reality for, for us is this was written back in 1962 when they didn't have the internet. The poor people that you would ignore, the poor people that you would not see were the people who lived in proximity to you. But for us today, like, like how many of us, you see commercials, you see ads on social media, you see posts, you see like literally that dude standing on the corner holding a sign. And what do we do? See, this, is, this is what I do. Uh, well, I, I've done, I should say. Hopefully I don't continue doing this. I used to live over by the hospital in Brandon, right on Parsons. Probably 75% of the time when I'm trying to drive out of there, there's a dude holding a sign, a homeless guy asking for money. And a lot of times the thought I had was, well, dude, if, literally if you walk down the street to Echo, they're going to help you out. Like, you walk like a half a mile down there, like they're going to help you out. Echo is a great organization. We partner with them. They really are helping uh, stop homelessness and even prevent it for a lot of people. You can get clothes. You can get food. You can get hooked up, man. You go down to Echo. That'll help you out. Never mind re- the reality that God's saying, Justin, like I put you on this corner to love on that dude. Now, we can justify it in all kinds of ways to, to justify our disobedience with wisdom. Well, I don't want to give him money because he might buy drugs or alcohol. Well, did God tell you to give money or not? And don't let your wisdom interrupt your obedience. If God wants you to give the dude money, give him money. What they buy with it, what they do with it, that's on them. What you do with it is on you. And for a lot of us, this is where we fall into this trap of, of wisdom, and we can't really have this wisdom because in contradiction to what God would have us to do, we go, like, I really want to be wise with my money. Can I just be rude with you, like some real talk? You need to worry about being wise with the rest of your money, not on that $10 gift you're going to give the kid. Like you get your house in order to enable you to be able to give to people, then the money you're giving away is not a huge deal because you're just obeying Jesus with all of your finances and then you're able to give and obey with him with the small gift you're giving. We gotta gotta get back to stop, stop ignoring the people who need us. We gotta seek justice. We got to defend the oppressed. One of the ways my wife and I, uh, kind of a, a strategic, planned out thing that we do, which this is something we, we have to plan it out. We have to be disciplined about it. You have to grow this in you. Even uh, planning for our generosity campaign, our Big Give Sunday we're going to do in a couple weeks, like planning right now for what you're going to do, planning for when you buy gifts. You're going to buy gifts for some kids who don't deserve it, who can't pay it back. Like, you got to plan this. This has to be a discipline. I believe generosity is like a muscle in your life. You need to exercise it. You need to grow it. And one of the things my wife and I do is we, we support this ministry called IJM, International Justice Mission. And what they do is they will go into corrupt countries and they will correct the corrupt uh, legal system, political system, law enforcement system. Uh, We're still waiting for them to get into America to do some work. Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's a joke. (laughs) Ha 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 ha. Joke. So they go like, like, you go into some of these countries, you can see the, the horrible situation they work in. But they go and they correct the systems, 
And then they go and find people who are breaking the laws, people uh, primarily involved in trafficking humans, uh, sex trafficking, slavery, and they go and build a legal case against those individuals and then prosecute them in the corrected law enforcement and political system, the legal system that is, has been created there. And then they see that they, they put those people away in jail, and instead of rescuing one kid, they will rescue dozens and dozens of kids and stop the operation of slavery. It's an incredible ministry uh, that we support. And this is the reality. Like, we do this because it matters to us. And also, like, like part of it, too, is, is they send us letters uh, every couple of months, and they send us pictures of people who were, like, real people who were freed from the slavery and bondage that they were in. Like, I can look at people's pictures. I can learn about stuff like these dudes on Lake Volta, which is the largest man-made lake in the world. It's in Ghana. And the most of people out there are young boys, young girls, and they are enslaved to fishermen who run fishing operations. And what happens, the way they get enslaved to this bondage, uh, this honestly hell on earth, is their parents are oppressed and need help. And they say, hey, your son, your daughter, they need schooling. They need to come. Like, have them come with me. I'll put them in my home. I will take care of them, and I will provide them with schooling. Like, life will be great for them. Just have them come with me. And as soon as they're away, they put them into slavery. And what they do, and they, like, 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 this is where, like, I struggle back and forth with this. Like, I don't want to, like, manipulate you emotionally, but I also want you to, like, stop ignoring this kid. Like, look at him. And their jobs primarily are where the, um, the, the fishing nets are down in the water and they get tangled with branches and debris in the water. And these guys, these boys, these children, kids your child's age, kids that would be over in our ministry, kids that should be in a ministry somewhere hearing about God who loves them are forced to jump into the water and untangle the nets. And unfortunately, many of them get tangled in the nets and drowned. Like, are you going to ignore this still? Like, but not just over in Ghana. Like, what about, like, in our community? Like, are you comfortable? Am I comfortable ignoring people who are oppressed? Or do I say, this kid, like, they have the image of God on them, and they are as valuable as any kid that would come into CC Kids, and I would love them like anyone else, and are you showing it? Don't talk a big game. Scripture says, God says he hates the show we put on for him if we're not loving people around us. This is where for all of us, like this is something you can do. My wife and I, like it's literally, it's $24 a month. Now like real numbers with our personal budget, I spend more on going out to lunch with my friends. We spend more on buying coffee at Starbucks than we send to that organization. So I'm not trying to stand up here like we got everything figured out. The reality though is, is you can do it. Like, go to Compassion International, go to World Vision, go to some organization and send money to sponsor a kid to change their entire life. But don't just do that. Also, give something, do something that's going to change someone's life right in your neighborhood. Like, go out and find the oppressed. This is where I think, as a church, like, we can get too passive about this. I think we don't let it get us angry enough. I think that it should make us angry. I think it should drive us to our knees. I think it should make us want to do something, to do anything to make it stop. Like, what about the thousands and thousands of children in Hillsborough County alone who are in the foster care system? 
Or what about like the thousands and thousands of children who are waiting for adoption? Like, like try to let this sink in. Try to take your Americanized Christianity out of the equation. Say, if I told you there was a country that had enough churches where every one church adopted one kid, they would eradicate the adoption epidemic there. They would take care of that need. Like you would say, they should just do that. Like, so, so where in your life is it showing up that you believe that? Like, where are you giving back? Where you go, even, even you can go and there's ministries, even up in Lakeland, there's a ministry called Porchlight that's saving women from sex trafficking. You can go on Target's website, you can look up Porchlight underneath their registries, and you can find a registry for stuff like that, like, like papers and towels. Like, buy them paper towels, buy them laundry detergent, buy them, like, simple, practical things to do something to defend the oppressed. Well, you're not benefiting from your own version of justice. And let's be real, too. Like, this is the gospel. Like, this is the good news of Jesus, that we were broken, we were hopeless, we were oppressed. But Jesus, God himself, did not see it fit to stay in heaven and go, oh, I hope things work out for them. He went and sought to bring his own righteous and powerful justice to the world to defend the oppressed, to save us from our oppressors. I was the one, I was the one who was enslaved on the fishing boat in Lake Volta. And Jesus came on that fishing boat and I was enslaved. There was no way I could get out. And Jesus came to me and he loved me enough and he broke the chains. He took, took my slave master and threw them in hell and he took me and said, I'm not just gonna save you from your bondage. I'm gonna bring you into my family. Like if I was that kid that had been saved like that, you think I'd wanna save some other kids? Like, do you realize you are like that with God? That you did not deserve God's goodness, but he gave it to you anyways. And that he wants to save you and pull you out of that bondage. Some of you, you're still in the bondage. You can't see it. You don't know. Can I tell you the truth? So many people who live in third world countries, who live in poverty areas, who are oppressed, they don't have any idea that they're oppressed. It's just life is normal for them. But did you, do you realize that, that God came and sought justice on your behalf? He paid the punishment you deserve. This is where the judgment and the hope of God is seen in Isaiah's message, but also in the person of Jesus that he came and he accepted the judgment we deserved. Because God is just, we deserve a punishment, but also he has just as much mercy. He's going to show us compassion and love. When we say, Jesus paid my punishment, I do not have to. Now I have hope in Jesus, not myself. This is even, as you look at the end of this passage, this is what Isaiah says, what God uses Isaiah to say to his people. He says, come now. Let us settle this matter. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. They are, though they are red as crimson, crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord is spoken. This is the reality. If you look and you see even those colors, the idea, the word image that you're using like scarlet and crimson, like you can't clean those things to get them white enough. 
This is where, again, the gospel is showing up. Like, you could not fix yourself. You could not clean your life up enough. Some of you are still trying to get out of your bondage by the bondage of the law, trying to earn your way to God, trying to hope that he will accept you instead of realizing he has accepted you. He loves you. He's crazy about you. Now he wants you to go and be crazy about other people, to love and accept other people. This is a question that we've asked several times through this series. We're going to ask it today. We're going to ask it next week as we close. Is The simple question is, if not you, then who? Like, if you're not going to do something to defend the oppressed, then who's going to do it? Can I tell you, this is a dream that I have, that even with our next generation, we have these children and these students coming up and learning, like, like this is reality. And I don't say this in a mean way, but if you're not going to fix the problem, get out of the way, because we've got a movement coming up that wants to do something. Like, but instead of moving out of the way, what have you empowered and demonstrated through your example people who love Jesus and love other people and you're going to do something? That even as you're shopping for Christmas and I'm going to buy my kids Christmas gifts, I'm going to get my wife something nice, I'm going to get my family members stuff. But as I'm doing that, I still am looking to think, how can I love someone who doesn't even deserve my love because I have a love that I don't deserve? How can I give something away for someone that can never repay me because I've been given something so precious that I could never pay back? If you're not going to do something, who's going to do it? But also with that, don't ever underestimate the power of one. Like one choice, one gift, one habit in your life. For some of you even, you're, you're learning about the justice of God. You want to learn more, like go get one of our more than a hashtag journal. Start following through with that. Like maybe it is the thing that God wants you to do is to learn his word, to understand what he's calling you to do and then give you the power to go and do it. Like you can't save every kid from Lake Volta. I can't save every kid from Lake Volta, but I can sponsor an organization that is making a difference. Here's the, the amazing thing. Even as IJM is working in countries, they're finding that they have to leave countries because there's not enough work for them to do there. Like imagine that they went into a broken and dysfunctional government where there's slavery rampant, there's trafficking all over the place, and they have done such an incredible job to work where they're sitting around going, okay, we need to go find more people who are enslaved in another country and fix things there. Like can you sponsor one kid? Like, can you buy one gift? And for a lot of you, it's not even so much for the person receiving it as much as it is for you. That you learn how good God is when you begin to do the things that he's called you to do. That you see how incredible he is when you go, man, it really is better to give than to receive. So what is God calling you to do? Because justice is simply righting what is wrong. What is the wrong in this world that you are seeing that you're saying, I got to do something about that? I think all of us should have our thing. For me, international justice mission, that whole thing, like that's, like that's my thing. I see that and at times it brings me to weep and I think about that and I think like, what if that was my kid or if it was your kid? And here's the deal. Like I've said this before, I told people like, I love where I'm at, man. You guys are awesome. I love the church. I love Brian, his leadership, our staff. It is great. If there's one thing that I've talked with God about is God, would you want me to leave everything and go be an advocate for something like that? Like he hasn't told me yes to that yet, but in my heart is just this thing on me of like, like I want to love kids here, but I also want to love kids everywhere. And it's our responsibility. So even this year, as you're closing things out, as you're looking at your, your bank account statements, as your business owner, and you're looking at, oh, where can I give? Like, give somewhere that's going to make a massive difference for God. 
Like we have our generosity campaign coming up. Like begin praying and planning right now. And again, don't let quote unquote wisdom interrupt the obedience of God in your life. Some of you need to go out right now, buy some gifts, bring it back. Some of you need to go out and find someone to drive around town for a while. You'll find a homeless dude, buy him lunch. Like begin to add action to your faith. And in doing that, you will see your faith become stronger and deeper in you. And that is what God wants for you. Never from a place of trying to earn his forgiveness, grace, mercy, his chosen attitude towards you, but always from a place of being chosen. Now I can walk out in a way that I can love everybody because I've been loved completely. I can care for everybody because I've been completely cared for. I can give because I've been given so much. I can sacrifice because Jesus sacrificed himself for me. Never in a way to guilt trip you into obedience because I think that's also equally God hates that as well. But a way to say, God's given me so much grace. How could I keep it to myself? We've got to act with justice and not our definition of justice, God's definition of justice. Would you pray with me as we close? God, thank you so much that you have given us every good thing. God, I pray that we would see all the good things you've given us and that it would lead us to give to other people. God, that we would step away from this idea of justice, God, this idea that it is about me and that it's centered on me, that I need to benefit from justice and God, that I would simply go and God, that we would go out and live in a just way that you've called us to, God, that's not focus on our self-interest. God, not focusing on our own bias, but really looking at things with clear eyes, God. I pray you give us eyes to see the injustices around us and the strength and courage to do something about it. I pray that we could understand your justice in a greater way and also defend the oppressed. God, I pray for people even right now, God, people who believe in you, God, people who want to believe in you, people who are unsure what their next step is, I pray you give them such clarity on what the next step is. God, for those of us who are still working through bondage, God, those of us who are still working to live in a a free and right way with you, I pray that you would give us the ability to see how good you are and that we would run to you. We love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this message, would you do us a favor and rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher? You can actually now listen to us on Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. Basically, this just helps us get the message of Jesus out to more people. And the other thing I would say is, we would love for you to join us at one of our gatherings. One of the things we work really hard at is to create a safe place for people to be able to ask questions, to be able to investigate and grow in their faith if they're longtime followers of Jesus. And one of the things that we say a lot is regardless of what background you're coming from, you can belong here before you believe. And so if you want more information about our church, our location, service times, just go to our website at centerpointfl.org.